The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your top five at five. We are kicking off a new month of trading after the Dow locks in its best monthly gain in nearly 50 years. Futures are higher. Earnings in focus, but so is the Fed as the central bank kicks off its two-day monetary policy meeting. We speak with former Fed Vice Chair Roger Ferguson on what the market may be missing. Just days into his tenure and CEO and Elon Musk already shaping Twitter into his own. The latest changes and shakeups by Team Musk coming up. Plus, harsh words from President Biden over oil companies raking in record-breaking profits. How he's threatening to take action. And later, forget the Sunshine State, there's a new place topping the list of best states for retirement. It is Tuesday, November 1st. Uh, you are watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick things off the first day of November with a look at how stock futures are faring. We are higher uh, by triple digits for the Dow Jones, up 176 points. NASDAQ higher by 103. S&P 500 also indicating a higher open, up 30 points. This after a record-breaking month for the markets in October that saw the Dow post its best monthly performance since January of 1976, gaining nearly 14 percent. And take a look at what happened in the bond market. We saw yields compress a bit. The 10-year yield now back below 4 percent, yielding 3.98 percent. Take a look at what's happening in the energy sector, oil right now, where it's trading. Uh, we are higher by about 1.3 percent for Brent crude at $94, WTI crude at 87 in crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether right now trade higher, about 1.5% for Ether Bitcoin, up nearly 1% above 20000 Around the world we go. Green arrows overnight in Asia with Hong Kong surging more than 5% on the day. Outsized gains in Chinese tech with the Hong Kong tech sector surging 7.5%. Names like Alibaba, JD.com, Tencent up nearly double digits. Take a look at Alibaba up seven and a half. Uh, Tencent up 10.6. Much more on what's behind this rally coming up. Two other headlines of note. The Reserve Bank of Australia sticking with this measured approach surging inflation, hiking its key lending rate by just 25 basis points. Then there's Toyota, the world's biggest automaker by sales, reporting a worser-than-expected 25% drop in profit for its most recent quarter, also cutting its annual vehicle output target amid surging material costs and the ongoing chip shortage. The stock up down about 2%. Let's check on early trade in Europe. Uh, green arrows across the board. The German DAX up nearly 1%. The FTSE 100 higher by 1.5%. Let's get to some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hi, Seema. Good morning to you. Well, Elon Musk kicking his Twitter revamp into second gear, pulling more than 
50 Tesla employees, mostly software engineers from its autopilot team, into his Twitter takeover. According to internal records seen by CNBC, a number of employees from Musk's other ventures are now authorized to work at Twitter, including those from The Boring Company and Neuralink. Now, this amid additional reports, Musk is creating an inner circle of advisors, investors and employees from around his business empire to help reimagine Twitter. Oil and gas giant BP reporting stronger than expected third quarter profits of $8.2 billion compared with $3.3 billion during the same time a year earlier. Analysts were expecting a number closer to $6 billion. The company also announcing another $2.5 billion in share buybacks. BP has committed to using 60 percent of its excess cash flow for shareholder returns. And after a record year, investment returns for university endowments are now falling back to earth. According to preliminary estimates by Cambridge Associates, the median result for endowments and foundations in the fiscal year ending June 30th was a loss of 7.8 percent, the worst showing since 2009. Now, among the worst performing universities with multi-billion dollar endowments, Stanford University posting a 4.2 percent loss, Brown down 4.6 and MIT down 5.3 percent, Seema. Some concerning numbers there, Silvana. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Let's turn to a major story in the U.K. In the Bank of England, restarting its delayed quantitative tightening program today. Arabile Goumene joins us now from London with more on that. Good morning, Arabile. Yeah, good morning, Seema. Look, the market so far, as you pointed out, in the green going up today, one and a half percent better off than for the FTSE 100 in particular, of course, which is the key uh, attraction then that we will be focusing on today. Today is test day, to say the least. The Bank of England said to become the first major central bank then to sell off assets which were accumulated during a 13-year-old stimulus program. As you can see, yields dropping off then. It does make the central bank a test case for how quickly markets can then shift away from what is easy money policies that we've had, of course, over the last couple of years? Let's remember that the UK central bank was buying government bonds just as recently as a few weeks ago. That was aimed at soothing the markets after that mini budget that was happening here, which then roiled the gilt market in late September. So the BOE then stepped in, but now it will be auctioning the first £750 million in short maturity securities. That's around $860 million or so. Results of that operation are due at a about 3 p.m. local time. The move, of course, is aimed at trying to reverse that quantitative easing program that helped to prop up the economy through the global financial crisis and the pandemic of 2020 and 2021. Quantitative easing, however, did see the BOE buy bonds in financial markets to push interest rates to near zero. So the hopes then that easy money would give investors confidence and help foster a little bit of growth. The governor of the BOE there being Andrew Bailey will hope that reversing QE, which of of course is dubbed quantitative tightening now, can run in the background and leave the focus on the BOE's benchmark lending rate as the main tool for managing monetary policy. Arabile, markets appear to be brushing off the latest round of tightening. Uh, why, why do you think that is? Does that tell us that investors just have more confidence in the Bank of England? Well, it does seem that, of course, as we head towards that uh, Bank of England decision as well on interest rates for next week, they are expecting that maybe a 75 basis point hike in interest rates will still be a firm part of the market. But any major moves, I think it's kind of a wait and see approach that the market will possibly hold at this time and say that if 
enough of those bonds indeed are sold off or auctioned off then today, it does give a clearer sense that they will be able to uh, uh, unstimulate, if you want to call it that, uh, the economy as the focus now shifts quite heavily into that inflation picture. And that is where the focus of Treasury, as well uh, as the Bank of England, will be zoomed in on. We await for that meeting till now. Till then, uh, some strong gains across Europe. Arabile, thank you. Back on Wall Street, stocks in the U.S. kicking off a new trading month after October's big bounce. And if history is any indication, November may keep up that momentum. Get this, according to the Stock Traders Almanac, this month typically serves as the start of one of the stronger periods for stocks. It says since 1950, the S&P 500 and Dow have averaged a gain of at least 0.9% in each of the next three months. The Almanac adds for the Nasdaq, November is especially strong, serving as the best month for the index during a midterm election year. For more on expectations for November, let's bring in a savvy investor, Delana Sapuru, founder and CEO of New Street Advisory Group and a CNBC contributor. Delana, good morning. Good morning, Seema. What did you make of the outperformance in equity markets in October? And do you think the worst is over? The move was surprising. So we've had five major bounces in the S&P 500 since the January 4th peak, where we've trended down. Um, so, you know, I think it said that investors were probably positioned a little bit too bearishly going into earnings um, this quarter. Uh, I, I'm cautious. I don't think uh, our downward trend is just is really as clear yet. Um, a couple of things that, you know, investors have to look for is obviously we still have tightening uh, going on in, in, right now. And obviously we still have a, a pending potential recession. Um, and even if it's mild or not, that's something that investors have to take into account. Um, and so we'll see that kind of play out over the next couple of quarters. So I'm still, still very, very cautiously positioned. Cautiously positioned. Can you break that down? What, what does that look like? Are you getting more bullish on bonds? Is cash king right now? What's your, what are your thoughts? Yep. So obviously still still invested um, in the markets. But yes, you are right. One, um, short term rates, uh, high yield savings rates for, for people right now, for everyone right now is, is at the highest expenses like the 1980s. So that's obviously opportunity for people that are looking for different opportunities, especially being cautious to have some cash. Uh, there are still, especially since we've had that rally over the past month, we've seen those rallies drift down um, over the last four four times. So maybe for investors, it's looking for another draft down for them to pick at some areas within their growth uh, portfolio to buy in again. You've seen big moves um, in, in Facebook and big moves in Amazon to the downside um, over after earnings. So those are opportunities for long-term investors. Um, I do think short-term, you know, government bonds are also an opportunity for investors as well. But being cautious, mm-hmm. looking at your dividend yield and dividend plays as well, um, still, this, that's been the play uh, for, for investors over the past uh, the year to date. And so that's still a play that you want to kind of look at, especially after a big rally that may not hold when we get into Q1 of 2023. What would you like to hear from Powell tomorrow? I think we priced in, you know, they, what the Fed has done is actually everything they've projected to the markets is over the last decade. So we know kind of what's coming. Uh, I want to see if the trend and the data is getting better in the labor market. I think the labor market is going to tell us over the next couple of quarters kind of where the market goes. If we're seeing loosening in the labor market, that may be an indication uh, that the Fed is going to start to get a little bit more comfortable with where inflation will be going forward. The moves that they've done so far is still going to trickle through the economy over the next six months. So we still haven't seen um, all the impact yet. 
Um, and so seeing if the impact is starting to happen in the, in, the, in the economy will be good tell for investors on where we'll trend over the next couple of quarters. Um, so that's the big thing I'm focusing on and, and want to see uh, from Powell tomorrow. Okay. Dow up 157 points in pre-market. Delana, thank you. Good to see you. Thank you, Seema. When we come back, China's COVID zero policy straining residents and workers once again as officials grapple with rising case counts and outbreaks across the country. Plus, ahead of the Fed's two-day policy meeting that kicks off today, why former Fed Vice Chair Roger Ferguson says the market and the central bank are not on the same page. And later, get a global, global perspective on rates, central bank policy, and the market's next move with J.P. Morgan's head of global research, Joyce Chang. A very busy hour still ahead on Worldwide Exchange. We'll be back in two. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. A developing story this morning as China grapples with COVID outbreaks across the country and implementing its strictest zero COVID policies. The fallout hitting everything from the tourism sector to its all-important manufacturing hubs. Eunice Yoon joins us now. And Eunice, what's the latest? Well, Simo, one of those manufacturing hubs appears to be getting some relief sometime soon. This is China's iPhone city of Zhengzhou. Um, after the dramatic events over the past couple of days where we've seen uh, factory workers from Foxconn, which has a factory there, uh, spilling out in order to try to escape some of the COVID curbs as well as the COVID spread, uh, the city has announced that it's going to be lifting its effective lockdown as of today, which in theory should help the company to be able to return its operations back to normal. Now, the decision is a bit of a surprise uh, because uh, the number of reported cases today in the city was 95. So that is for a city of 12 million people uh, globally, very low, but at the same time, much higher than when the lockdown first went to a, into effect. So um, the uh, protocols have not yet been eased. Uh, that is uh, creating a bit of confusion and uncertainty for Foxconn, as well as other companies there, uh, which has been facing a fallout for workers. Officially, uh, the company says that its production uh, won't be affected. However, uh, an official news outlet quoted a factory manager in Zhengzhou who said that if they do not retain enough workers, they could see production fall by at least 50 percent. And he said that the company now is looking for various ways to create financial incentives to make sure that they keep the number of workers that they need. 
perspective. Eunice, I also want to get your take on the huge upside in Chinese stocks we're seeing right now. Names like Alibaba, JD.com, Tencent, they're up nearly double digits at this hour. The U.S. listed KWeb China Tech ETF up more than 7%. What would you say is behind the move? Well, um, perhaps some good old rumors, at <laughs> least uh, some social media posts that have not been verified, uh, which said that the government uh, could be creating a committee to try to figure out an, an exit plan for zero COVID. Uh, the foreign ministry has said that uh, they are not aware of any such plan. And it would seem to uh, fly in the face of what we've already seen with uh, President Xi and all the messaging from the leadership that they would they would stick by this policy. Uh, one thing that we could see a change of um, has been whether or not China would want to ease some of its travel restrictions to allow very high level um, uh, executives into the country. And uh, from what I've been told, uh, there has been some discussion that there could be um, that some of these high level, um, you know, financial types or or anybody mm -hmm. else could come in. But then anybody who they meet would have to go into quarantine for 10 days. And we've seen examples of that before. And there's been some discussion that maybe that would be a way to ease the restrictions without easing the entire policy. Yeah, well, any signs of easing restrictions are clearly being welcomed by the market. We'll look for your reporting on this. Eunice, thank you. Eunice Yoon in China. Still on deck, your top trending stories, including Florida falling out of favor and on a new list of best places to retire in the United States. But find out which state dominates the top spots when Worldwide Exchange returns. Today's big number, 54%. That's the share of adults that have stopped or reduced their retirement savings contributions due to inflation according to a study by Allianz Life. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Time now for your big money movers. Four stock stories at this hour. First up is Avis Budget Group. The car rental company's third quarter earnings beating forecasts. Avis says it expects the strong demand it saw this summer to carry through to the end of the year. Stock two. Stryker, the maker of surgical equipment and medical devices, posting better-than-expected third-quarter results. But the company is lowering its profit guidance for the year, citing inflation and the strong dollar. Up next, Hologic, the maker of medical equipment and technology, posting fourth-quarter numbers and topping forecasts. The company, whose products focus on women's health, says it's seeing unprecedented strength in its core business heading into the new fiscal year. Stock up 7.5%. Finally, Goodyear Tire. Shares are tumbling after the company's third quarter results missed analyst estimates. Goodyear says after strong profit and sales in the first half of the year, growth has moderated in the third quarter due to weaker volumes and rising pressure from inflation and the impact of the stronger dollar. Take a look at that chart, down 9%. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena in New York with the latest. Hi, Philip. 
Hi, Seema. Good morning. The man accused of brutally attacking House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband is expected to make his first court appearance today. According to a federal complaint, David DePap told investigators he planned on breaking the House Speaker's kneecaps if he caught her lying to him. He's facing a long list of state and federal charges, including the attempted homicide of Paul Pelosi. As many as 14 people have been wounded in a drive-by shooting in Chicago. According to police, a group was gathered when at least two shooters fired indiscriminately into the crowd. Three of the victims were children, ages 3, 11, and 13. The others were adults. One other person was struck by a car at the scene. Injuries range from non-life-threatening to critical. Police are still searching for the suspects and a motive. No one took home the billion-dollar Powerball jackpot from last night's drawing, which ballooned the grand prize to $1.2 billion. It's now a little less than $400 million away from the largest prize in Powerball history. That massive prize comes with an estimated cash value of just under $600 bucks. Another billion-dollar lottery draw will come tomorrow at 11 p.m. Eastern. So another crack at it for everybody who wants that life-changing money, Seema. Exactly. Exciting times. Philip, thank you. You got it. Straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, former Federal Reserve Vice Chair Roger Ferguson is here. His take on the Fed's next move and the major signal the markets may be missing. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Dow is up 180 points in pre-market. We will be right back. Markets seeing less fear and more cheer in October, with the Dow wrapping its best month in nearly 50 years. And that momentum looking to carry over to the new trading month. Futures, yeah, we're higher right now. The Fed in focus as the central bank kicks off its latest policy meeting and another rate hike is expected. Former Fed Vice Chair Roger Ferguson lays out the disconnect between markets and Powell and the company's commitment on inflation. And Elon Musk ramping up his Twitter overhaul even further, continuing to clean house within the social platform. It is Tuesday, November 1st. You're watching World Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get to how the markets are shaping up as we kick off the new trading month. Happy November, by the way. Futures are higher. We're up 158 points in pre-market trade. NASDAQ higher by 104. And the S&P 500 also indicated higher by 28 points. This comes after a record-breaking month for the month of October. That saw the Dow gaining nearly 14% posting its best monthly performance since January of 1976, helped by names like Honeywell and Caterpillar. One sector standout in travel, a solid October for cruise stocks as investors continue to bet on a recovery. Double-digit gains for names like Carnival, jumping nearly 29 percent, Royal Caribbean up nearly 41 percent, and Norwegian, uh, the best performer in the month of October, up 48 percent. Turning to the bond market, you could argue one of the reasons stocks have done well is because yields have come down and the dollar has also weakened. The 10-year yield uh, below 4%, yielding 3.98. And let's also hit Asia. Some significant moves there. Hong Kong closing sharply higher on social media reports that Beijing is looking to get a bit more lenient when it comes to lockdowns. It's speculation right now, but it's moving the market Hong Kong uh, its tech index up seven and a half percent. Take a look at Chinese 
tech stocks surging at this hour. Tencent up nearly 11 percent. Baidu up seven and a half. JD.com, Alibaba all higher. And talk of a reopening in China. Excuse me. You can also take a look at the moves in European luxury makers. Uh, Hermes up 3.6 percent. Caring, the owner of parent of Gucci, up four and a half. LVMH also higher. We'll keep you up to date on this story. Let's also get a check on some of the morning's top stories with Silvana Hanau. Good morning, Silvana. Seema, good morning. President Biden is threatening to pursue higher taxes on oil company profits if industry leaders don't take fresh steps to reduce gas prices. Speaking at the White House yesterday, the president continued his criticism that oil companies have made record high profits as consumers struggle to keep up with high gas prices. Any new proposed taxes could face opposition in Congress, especially if Republicans expand their control after next week's midterm elections. The president stressed while he is a capitalist, these companies have benefited from Russia's war in Ukraine and subsequent Western sanctions on Russian oil. It's time for these companies to stop war profiteering, meet their responsibilities to this country, give the American people a break and still do very well. The American people are going to judge who's standing with them and who is only looking out for their own bottom line. A federal judge has blocked Penguin Random House's proposed $2.2 billion deal to buy uh, rival Simon & Schuster. The judge agreed with the Department of Justice's argument that the merger could substantially lessen competition in the market. The case was seen as a precedent setter for mergers and acquisitions under the Biden administration. Penguin Random House says it plans to appeal the ruling. And GameStop officially launching its NFT marketplace. The video game retailer teaming up with the Ethereum blockchain Immutable X for the platform, which allows gamers to own the assets they purchase within certain games. Now, the move is the latest by GameStop to reinvent itself and invest in growing adoption of cryptos and blockchain technology, Seema. Thank you. To our top story and the Federal Reserve kicking off its two-day policy meeting today. According to the CME, investors pricing in a more than 88 percent chance of a three-quarters basis point hike tomorrow. But the bigger question for the market is what comes next? Joining me now is former Federal Reserve Vice Chairman and former Federal Reserve Board Governor Roger Ferguson. He's also a CNBC contributor. Roger, thank you for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Simon. Thanks for having me. Morgan Stanley out with a note yesterday, their analyst there, Mike Wilson, strategist rather, that the Fed is nearing the end of its rate hike cycle. Do you agree? Uh, I do not agree with that. Um, I certainly agree with the market expectation that the next move will be a 75 basis point tightening this, this week. But I expect that they'll uh, move again in December, 50 basis points, 75 basis points, both on the table. And I also expect they'll move uh, two more times next year, maybe 25 basis points. So I think we're not uh, nearing the end as much as uh, maybe other people may think that to be the case. What specific data points or economic uh, reports will you, be, will you be looking to uh, that would give you more confidence that the Fed is nearing the end of its rate hikes? Well, recognize that the Fed is uh, singularly focused on inflation. And so looking at the incoming inflation reports will be very important. There will be a couple of those uh, before the next meeting in December. And in addition, obviously, you know, what's driving that concern is a very tight labor market. 
and we'll see several reports around that going forward as well. And so I'd be looking at those two areas, and I would say right now, while inflation may be cooling somewhat, I think it is still uh, far from showing the clear and convincing evidence that it's returning to the Fed's uh, longer-term 2% target. How important is this Friday's jobs report? Uh, unemployment rate, rather than moving up, actually went down in the last month from 37 to 3.5%, Roger. I think every one of these, um, these data reports will uh, be part of putting together a mosaic, telling a story. So I, I suspect that there won't be any one report that suddenly swings the, the pendulum from one direction to the other. It's really, um, you know, the um, cumulative impact of understanding where the economy is. Uh, and there are many ways to look at the uh, labor market. One of them is uh, the upcoming uh, jobs report on Friday. There's also another report called the JOLTS report that shows the number of openings. Uh, and I know and we've heard uh, Fair Chair, uh, Fed Chairman Powell talk about the JOLTS report as well. And so there are a number of reports that will give us a completer picture of how the labor market is faring right now. And I guess the question there is how many months of a cool down in the labor market does the Fed want to see before it decides to start holding rates steady or even cutting rates? I mean, right now, Fed fund futures indicating those rate cuts to come in somewhat mid next year, Roger? I think that's a little optimistic as well. Uh, I think the Fed will hold rates uh, longer than maybe the market currently expects and will start to think about cutting rates uh, towards the end of next year on the condition that inflation has actually uh, moved down and appears to be staying there. So I think that's the real disconnect between the market and the Fed right now, is the Fed is saying rates higher uh, for longer than currently the market is expecting. And obviously, you know, the data will tell the story. To date, I think the data has been more on the stronger side uh, and more supportive of the Fed's plan and tension as announced to uh, hold rates a little higher than maybe the market expects and hold them longer than the market expects. We know the Fed has a dual mandate. It's jobs and price stability. But uh, do you think Powell will uh, acknowledge the pain on countries outside the United States that have seen their currencies move to extreme lows? They're now seeing uh, their debt much more expensive because of the outperformance of the dollar. Will he acknowledge the, the international risks to, to higher rates for longer? Uh, he may acknowledge that, you know, there is a stronger dollar. But to be fair, you know, the strength of the dollar is one of the uh, obvious outcomes of raising interest rates. I think he is very mindful that his obligation is to uh, the citizens of this country to create, you know, long-term conditions for maximum sustainable growth. And right now that means getting inflation under control. So I doubt that, you know, pain overseas is going to uh, force the Fed to change its long-term uh, strategy as outlined thus far. How do you think what the Fed is doing will, will impact monetary policy? We heard from the Bank of Australia today, and now we wait uh, Bank of England next week. Look, I think each central bank is making decisions for uh, its own economy. Mm -hmm. uh, many economies are confronting inflation for a variety of different reasons. Uh, Bank of England, we see uh, as confronting, or England's confronting, you know, very high inflation rate. Uh, others may be slowing more quickly, 
And so I think what's happening here is each central bank looking at a similar uh, profile of higher inflation, but maybe things moving uh, at a different pace towards slowing. So we will not, I do not think this is coordinated movement whatsoever. I think it's a reflection of the uh, underlying economic conditions in each jurisdiction. Extraordinary times. Roger, we appreciate you lending your expertise. Thanks for joining us. Roger Ferguson. Now to the latest on Elon Musk kicking off his Twitter revamp into second gear. According to internal records seen by CNBC, Musk is pulling more than 50 Tesla employees, mostly software engineers from its autopilot team, into his Twitter takeover. A number of employees from Musk's other ventures are also now authorized to work at Twitter, including those from The Boring Company and Neuralink. This, amid additional reports, Musk is creating an inner circle of advisors, investors and employees from around his business empire to help reimagine Twitter. Coming up, semi-companies taking the earnings spotlight, a look at whether the battered sector may finally start to turn a corner after a tough stretch. But first, as we had to break some of your top trending stories, Florida losing its crown as one of the top places to retire. A new U.S. News and World Report ranking on the matter showing that Pennsylvania earned three of the top five spots, surpassing Florida in overall top ten appearances. Instagram says a widespread outage that left some users being told their accounts had suspended has been resolved. The issue began yesterday, with the problem seeming to have been concentrated among iPhone users. And the newest entry in the Call of Duty franchise seeing huge demand, according to Barron's Activision Blizzard says Modern Warfare 2 is the fastest selling entry in the franchise since it began nearly 20 years ago. The report adds sales since the game debuted Friday have surpassed $600 million. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. Time for something random but interesting. And for that, who else do we turn to but our very own Brian Sullivan. Well, happy Tuesday morning and welcome to November. And because of that, let's give you a little random but interesting reason, maybe for some optimism, right? November could be a very good month for your money. Here's why we say that. Although April and October tend to get all the love as the best two months of the year for the S&P 500, which, by the way, is true going back many decades, it has actually been November that has been the top month over the more near term. Ryan Dietrich of Carson Investment Research put this together. Looks at the market going back to 1950 with the S&P 500's average return by month. You can see that the summer tends to be pretty lousy and September nearly always falls. But look at November, which is highlighted. It's been typically been a good month, but in the past 10 years, November has really come into its own. And in fact, over the past decade, November, not October, April has been the best month for the S&P 500. That is that highlighted area in the graphic. And midterm years have also tended to do really well as well. Of course, here's your obligatory disclaimer. The past is no guarantee of future performance. But if you care about the markets and about history, it is some potentially good news. And yes, we have not had this level of inflation or political uncertainty at any time in those past 10 years. So take it maybe with a giant grain of sea salt, but... Coming off a very good October, maybe this could provide a nice little historical tailwind to the markets and your money. Random and hopefully interesting. It certainly is. Our thanks to Brian. 
The chip sector remaining in focus for investors this week with several names reporting third quarter results. Rambus, NXP Semiconductor, Lattice Semiconductor all posting better than expected numbers last night. And the stocks are higher in extended trade. Take a look at Lattice up 4.5%. AMD reports after the bell today while Qualcomm is out with results Tomorrow, both companies are forecasted to report higher revenue, although AMD cut its guidance last month due to weaker sales in the PCs division. It's been a rough go overall for the industry this year. The Philadelphia Semiconductor Index is down 40 percent. The decline coming amid a pullback in consumer and business spending on electronics, high inflation, supply chain issues, and that U.S. export ban on sales of high-end chips and chip equipment to China. Let's talk about all of this and how you can make money in the sector with Jason Pompey, Senior Director of Corporates at Fitch Ratings. Jason, uh, it's been a tough year for the chips sector, but we did get some nice earnings last night from Lattice Semiconductor uh, and NXP. You think the worst is over? Sure. So, uh, first of all, good morning. But, you know, I would say in general, you know, we remain constructive on the semiconductor industry over the longer term. Really, the secular content growth is going to drive, on average, pretty solid growth over time. Uh, obviously, the, the sector remains somewhat cyclical. Um, and uh, But really, what we're looking at right now, you know, despite some bright spots, we are very much uh, uh, in, of the belief that, you know, we're in a, sort of an inevitable inventory correction uh, that really follows two years of robust revenue growth exacerbated by acute supply chain uh, constraints. And, and really, that led to unprecedented uh, customer co-investments as well as pockets of uh, double ordering. And, and really, we anticipated 2023 to be kind of a challenging year with a modest, uh, moderate uh, sort of downturn. Um, I think it's, it's come earlier and it's been a bit more abrupt. What are you expecting from AMD tonight, and how do you expect the company to address the export ban uh, announced by the Commerce Department on October 7th? Yeah, so just in terms of how they're, they're going to manage it, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, one of the concerns about the export bans is that uh, it does sort of remove a, a portion of the addressable market uh, for companies like AMD and NVIDIA, as well as some of the chip equipment makers. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see a couple of things. Number one, obviously, there's the aspect of enforcement, um, you know, given the fact that there are provisions for granting licenses that uh, provide exceptions. Also, there is the consideration for sort of uh, China's retaliation to the extent that they do so and how they do so. Um, you know, but but ultimately, this does actually take off the table. We believe, uh, you know, some, some structural demand of companies like AMD. Um, it uh, does also, of course, provide some longer-term opportunities as well. But uh, you know, that is that is sort of undeniable that uh, it is meant to sort of. Take that demand off the table. Yeah, Jason, as you examine the balance sheets of these companies and look at the, the, the benefits and risks, uh, what would you say is the best name to own in the broader semiconductor space? Oh, uh, well, you know, we're, we're on the debt side, so sort of not really in the, in, in the business of providing investment advice. But, you know, what, what I would say is from a credit perspective, uh, we're, we would 
generally say that uh, most semiconductor names have benefited from a credit profile standpoint greatly from the essentially robust growth that we've seen over the last couple of years, position themselves well, manage their balance sheets, and so have a little bit of headroom for what, again, we, we expect to be some cha- challenging 2023. Okay. Well, some hopeful perspective. Jason, thank you. We'll wait for AMD tonight. Jason Pompey. On deck today, stocks set to continue October's momentum with the new trading month. J.P. Morgan's Joyce Chang lays out why she remains cautiously optimistic on risk assets heading into the end of 2022. And if you want to learn how to maximize your finances and invest in a brighter future, join us virtually today for CNBC Your Money and hear from top financial experts. Register by scanning the QR code on your screen or going to cnbcevents.com slash your money. Great event. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We're getting set for the first day of November on Wall Street's radar today. Manufacturing, PMI, ISM manufacturing, and the JOLTS report all out before lunchtime. Remember, the Fed does pay close attention to the JOLTS data. The busiest week of earnings season does roll on. Among the names reporting today, Eli Lilly, Pfizer, Advanced Micro Devices, AIG, Airbnb from the travel space, Clorox, Electronic Arts, Mondelez, and Yum China. With Elon Musk taking over Twitter, its stock, which has been trading since its IPO back in 2013, will officially be removed from the MSCI and the S&P 500 today. Let's get back to the broader market with the Fed's latest policy meeting and earnings parade continuing. We'll take a look at futures. We are indicated higher on the first day of November. Dow Jones Industrial higher by 193 points, or triple-digit gain for the Dow in pre-market. NASDAQ higher by 119 points, and the S&P 500 implied open up 32. Joining me now is Joyce Chang, J.P. Morgan Chair of Global Research. Joyce, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Be with you, Seema. A very strong October for stocks. A lot of talk about a Fed pivot. But what do you think, Joyce? Can investors bet on a less aggressive Fed? I think the markets have become much more hopeful that we're past the peak of central bank hawkishness, but there's still more Fed tightening to come. So, yes, the pace of um, will slow by the Fed for tightening, but we think this is going to continue into 2023. And I think it would be a mistake for the central banks to call for an early end to this fight against inflation. We're still, you know, a long ways away from where the target is. And I think the core inflation is going to remain at levels that are some multiple percentage points above their target. So I think uh, there's a question on whether the worst has passed, but we're still looking for um, further Fed hikes and also for the Bank of England. The market's been debating 50 or 75. We still think it's 75 basis points, but you have had um, some market relief here that just perhaps we are at the peak. Retailers are talking about sitting on higher inventory going into the holiday season. There's been talk of promotions and high discounting. If we start to see the consumer, Joyce, really pull back, could that accelerate the, 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 the drawdown in inflation? I guess the question is, when does inflation really start to move lower? Well, we are seeing that consumers are working through these buffers. I mean, at the start of the year, we had 14% of GDP in excess savings. So those buffers have really um, you know, been used throughout this year. But what we are seeing is that on earnings, we've taken down the 2023 earnings um, to you know, a 225, you know, really flat 
in 2023. So I think that you are going to see more pressure on the consumer going forward unless we see the inflation pressures you know, abate from here. Um, but those buffers, we still have them in positive territory you know, as we go into 2023. Energy remains the best performing sector this year. Uh, Joyce, President Biden yesterday taking aim at the oil companies here in America, once again, accusing them of war profiteering, uh, urging Congress to impose a windfall tax. How do you think this story ends? Well, look, next week, it's all going to be focused on actually the global tankers capacity, you know, as we get to the December 5th deadline and, you know, the sanctions and the oil price cap. And we really see that Russia has capacity that's about off by about one million barrels per day. So I think that you're still going to see energy outperform here. It still remains a key overweight call for us. The supply remains tight. Um, You know, buybacks and payouts are increasing. The energy holdings and equity benchmarks are still low on a historical basis. So I don't think that you're going to see you know, much change there. In fact, there could be more pressure as the year continues. Okay. Overseas, I'm curious what your take is on what's happening in China. Uh, the country's zero COVID policy has certainly been criticized. What's your take on what's happening uh, there and whether investors can bet on a turnaround? Well, I, I do think that um, the message that we've heard um, from the government, you know, is sort of very consistent that we are looking at a period where, uh, you know, we're in for a medium term outlook for slower growth. So we still have growth at China, you know, at 3 percent this year. But I think you will see um, some recovery. The question is, when will you see um, them you know, able to really ab- abandon some of the enduring pandemic policies that we've seen in place so far? Um, and also there's the drag on real estate and on property that still continues. So I think that, uh, you know, you could see some bounce back off of the lows that we've seen this year, just given how much that market has uh, come off this year. But I think the ongoing medium term pressures are still in place. Export bans, the military drills we're seeing around the region. I mean, the expectation is that we continue to see the United States and China continue to decouple. Uh, How does that change the investment opportunities across China? Where should they be looking if they still want to uh, prosper off of the rising middle class and so many other great things that are happening across that country? Well, I think consistent with our global call, it's still really looking at um, some of the energy and the commodity sectors um, in China. One thing we've taken a very close look at is that you know China continues to have um, you know, a, a lot of stockpiling of commodities, and if you take a look at global inventories, I mean they have some of the highest inventories you know, in commodities. So I think the commodities and um, energy and you know even agricultural commodities more broadly are still the areas to look at um, you know in China, but also more broadly in the global markets. Yeah, I speak. Speaking of that, Joyce, I know you've been bullish on Brazil, a commodity producing nation. Curious if your outlook has changed uh, given the election result we received yesterday. Uh, Lula da Silva, a left leaning leader, leader, will now be in charge. I think what everybody's looking at is what will the cabinet appointments be in Brazil? And he's um, listed some names um, that are very familiar to the marketplace right now, which I think the market's reacted very favorably to. You know, beyond the election results, um, Brazil is the one country that really is done with tightening. So um, what we've seen is you know the, the Supreme Court, Bolsonaro's 
allies have sort of you know, uh, verified the results and accepted the results. We've also seen that the cabinet appointments could be more market friendly. But also there's a sense that this is a central bank that has actually uh, you know, already finished the tightening cycle, could be one of the first to ease. So that's been one that's been on the radar with investors. Now that the elections are over, I think they will look for where the cabinet appointments will come in. And, um, and I think so far, the names that have been mentioned have been ones that the market has uh, familiarity with and has seen favorably. Yeah, Brazil among the best performing emerging markets, up nearly 17 percent. Um, pretty significant when you look at where the S&P 500 is today. Joyce, such a pleasure to go around the world with you today. Thank you for joining us. Joyce Chang of J.P. Morgan. And that does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.